Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we begin our journey with the fifth Doctor as we join him and his companions in Castrovalva. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so to join the discussion you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Paddy, before you jump into the story recap, a couple mm-hmm. of things. Yep. Yes, we know that this episode was delayed. Saz. Things came up. Um, but also, <laughs> it was only when I actually watched this episode last night that I realised that every time I have mentioned this episode, yeah. Which has been a couple of times because it gets mentioned in other like in other bits of trivia that I've spoken about before. You Why did you wrong. never tell me I was saying it wrong? Uh because see, I I was having like a bit of a Mandela effect because I believed it was Castro Valva. But you kept saying Castro Valva with such confidence that I was like, Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, you were right. It is Castro Valva. <laughs> There's two of us. Yeah. I didn't know that. I had never fucking seen it. <laughs> Why didn't you? It's like the Keeper of Traken that I was calling the Keeper yeah. of Traken in every single well, trivia spot. You never fucking corrected me on that one either. No, because to be fair, I kept also calling it the Keeper of Traken. It wasn't until I actually watched it that I was like, oh wait, they call it Traken. Yeah. So for everyone who's been sort of listening to the podcast and whatever platform you're listening to and been going, it's Castro Valva, you trash, it's Castro Valva, you whatever i'm aware of that now um yeah and i won't say it wrong again until mm. i do but i won't um but yeah uh weird side note aside i think we can move on to the story summary please so buddy perfect peter davison first story castro Valva. go i will part one at the Faris Research Center, Adric Teagan and Nissa rushed the newly regenerated Doctor back to the TARDIS, all the while being pursued by a group of security guards. However, the Doctor collapses in his weakened state and the security guards catch up to the group and apprehend him as an ambulance arrives. The paramedics go to the tent to the Doctor and Teagan notices that they have left the keys in the ignition. Adric distracts the guards by saying that he is an alien and Teagan and Nissa drive off in the ambulance after the Doctor is put on board by the paramedics. Nissa tells Adric to run, but he doesn't get far before he is caught by the guards. Nissa and Tegan rush into the TARDIS with the Doctor as the paramedics and the guards chase after them. Once on board, the Doctor rushes down one of the corridors. Tegan goes after him whilst Nissa watches Adric on the external view screen. Nissa calls Tegan back as she sees the Master's TARDIS materialise. They watch as it emits a burst of energy that stuns all the guards but leaves Adric seemingly unharmed. The Master's TARDIS dematerializes again and they go and bring Adric back inside, who immediately piles the TARDIS away. Once they are in flight, Tegan tells him that the Doctor is acting odd and is looking for something called the Zero Room. Adric perks up at this and says he will go help the Doctor. He finds his coat abandoned, but notices a long tread running down one of the corridors. He soon finds the Doctor unravelling his scarf so he can track his progress. They continue on down the corridor, and the Doctor explains what a Zero Room is, stating that it is a negative energy space designed for healing. He mentions that Romana always suggested he go there for a break, but he becomes sad when Adric reminds him that she is gone. He comments that the regeneration process isn't running as smoothly as it should, and suggests that maybe something in the TARDIS is impeding it. 
Back in the console room, Tegan grows increasingly anxious with the length of time that the Doctor and Adric have been gone. Nissa says that they can't do anything for them in the console room and suggests that they go look for them. Tegan is apprehensive as she tells Nissa about how she got lost in the maze-like corridors when she first arrived in the TARDIS, but she gains new determination when Nissa suggests that she stay behind. Just as they leave, Tegan notices a screen on the console that shows it has the full repository about everything to do with the TARDIS, and they begin to use it. After some trial and error on how to use the files, they try to find out how to pilot it, but see that there is already a flight plan programmed. They decide to go look for the Doctor and Adric and find the trail. Back in the corridors, the Doctor, having run out of tread from his scarf, is tearing up his clothes to leave a trail. Adric watches as the Doctor begins to behave as he did in his previous incarnations. Adric suddenly disappears when the Doctor goes into a state of panic as he relives a memory from his second incarnation. The Doctor takes off after Adric, coming across a mirror where he scrutinises his new appearance. He then notices a cricket bat and decides to varnish it. He looks around and finds a room nearby which resembles a cricket club changing room. A few moments later, the Doctor emerges wearing a cricket sweater and striped pants. He goes back to the mirror and finds a beige and orange trimmed coat waiting for him to complete his new ensemble. He then hears a door slam and he goes to investigate it, believing it to be the entrance to the Zero Room. He encounters Tegan and Nyssa and they go looking for the room together. The Doctor has another bout of delirium, but Nyssa says that she has found the Zero Room and Tegan helps the Doctor inside it. Inside the room, the Doctor becomes tranquil and says that he will need to stay in the room until his post-regeneration haze is finished. Nyssa comments that there isn't a bed to help his recuperation, but the Doctor says that he doesn't need one as he concentrates and then hovers in the air before rotating so that he is lying flat while suspended. He then tells him that he needs them all to work together whilst he goes through the healing process. He tells him that Adric will be in charge due to him having spent longer with the Doctor. Tegan and Nissa wonder where he is, and suddenly an image of Adric bound in a web appears before them. He reveals that the Master hypnotized him and forced him to preset the coordinates in the TARDIS. They ask where he is now, but he reveals that he is actually a facsimile, created by the Master using the block transfer computational skills Adric guarded on Logopolis. The vision then fades, and Nissa tells Tegan to keep an eye on the Doctor while she goes to try and release the navigational controls. As she makes her way back to the console room, she notices that the lipstick marks that Tegan had earlier used to help guide their progress have begun to run as if they are melting from the walls. The cloister bell then sounds, which is heard by the Doctor and Tegan in the Zero Room. The Doctor asks where Adric is, but Tegan doesn't tell him, fearing that knowing the Master is involved might affect his healing. She tells him to wait in the Zero Room while she goes to find Nyssa. She arrives back in the console room, noticing that it is getting increasingly hotter. Once there, Nyssa reveals that the preset coordinates are taking them back to the dawn of the universe, where the TARDIS will be destroyed in the Big Bang. Suddenly, the Master and the real Adric appear on the external view screen, with the Master laughing as he waves goodbye to them. Part 2 Nyssa expresses her loathing for the Master and turns off the view screen, telling Tegan that there is nothing that they can do. Tegan refuses to accept this and says that there must be something in the TARDIS databanks that can help them. Meanwhile, the Doctor emerges from the Zero Room, but falls in his weakened state. In an effort to help him, the TARDIS sends him a motorised wheelchair in order to get him back to the console room. He arrives there to find Tegan and Nyssa struggling to find a way to reverse the TARDIS's course, but finding it difficult due to the gravitational pull caused by the Big Bang. The Doctor tells him that the situation has caused an adrenaline surge to his body, which is helping him think clearly. He tells Nyssa that he will guide her on how to operate the manual override system. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by the Master and the imprisoned Adric, who vows to get free.
back on the TARDIS, as NISA overrides the temperature regulation system, the Doctor tells Tegan how to delete rooms within the TARDIS in order to jettison enough excess weight that will prevent the ship from escaping the gravitational pull. He tells him that he and Adric had to do it before, and again asks where he is. Reluctantly, NISA begins to tell him what happened, but he says that they can tell him later, as time is running out. Suddenly he starts to revert to mannerisms from his third incarnation, and Nyssa tells Tegan that the adrenaline surge is wearing off due to the decrease in temperature. He goes back to the wheelchair and says that they need to jettison 25% of the inner architecture of the TARDIS to build up enough trust to get away. They ask him how to ensure that they don't jettison any important rooms, but he tells him to ask K9 before passing out. With no other choice, Tegan and Nyssa prepare to jettison the required amount of space from the TARDIS, with Nyssa doing her best to reassure an anxious Tegan that everything will be alright. Meanwhile, the Master offers to release Adric from the web if he joins him willingly, otherwise he will stay there for eternity. Reluctantly, Adric agrees to help him, and they suddenly watch as the Doctor's TARDIS disappears in a blinding flash of light. The Master rejoices in his victory, but is wary of Adric's lack of resistance in joining him, or the remorse for his friend's passing. He demands that Adric reveal what he is hiding and forces him to manifest, via block transfer computation, another vision, this time showing the Doctor's TARDIS successfully escaping the Big Bang. Back on the Doctor's TARDIS, Tegan finds an entry in the databank, saying that in times of regeneration crisis, where the Zero Room is compromised, Time Lords have gone to planets free from advanced technology, with atmospheres that resemble the energy of the Zero Room. They set course for one of the locations suggested, a place called Castrovalva and then Nissa wheels the Doctor back to the Zero Room. She tells him that Tegan is studying the flight manuals on how to pilot the TARDIS, and the Doctor expresses doubt at her ability to fly it. Suddenly the ship lurches to the side before righting itself again. They arrive at the Zero Room, but the Doctor is horrified to see that it has been jettisoned. He gives Nissa his sonic screwdriver to take the hinges off the doors, but he passes out when she asks what the point is. Suddenly the TARDIS tilts to its side again as it lands sideways on a grassy hill. The Doctor suddenly wakes up again and tells Nissa that they can craft an ad hoc zero room out of the space the previous one occupied. Well, under his instructions, she removes the doors and they take it to the console room where they remove some components from the walls. She then crafts a coffin-like isolation pod. Tegan comes in, having gone outside to scout her surroundings, and says that she has seen a settlement less than a day's walk away. Together, they carry the pod outside, which is easier to manoeuvre as the Doctor's weight is cancelled out by the negative room energy within it. They place it on the wheelchair and roll it towards the settlement. However, when they stop to get their bearings, the wheelchair falls into a river, as does Nissa when she goes to retrieve it. Tegan helps her to get it out, but they see that it is heavily damaged from the fall. With no other choice, they carry on on foot, carrying the pod between them, which has started to grow heavier. Suddenly, Tegan points out the settlement that she says is Castrovalva, which is actually a fortress on top of a cliff. Nissa covers the pod in foliage, while she and Tegan go to find help. After they leave, two masked, fur-clad figures appear and say that the Murgrave must be informed of the stranger's arrivals. A while later, Tegan and Nissa return to find blood on the ground and the Doctor missing. Part 3. Nissa says that the cabinet was opened from the inside and therefore the Doctor might be better. Tegan says that they need to go find him and they head back towards Castrovalva. En route, they are suddenly ambushed by a large group of the masked figures, and Tegan says to run. They manage to evade their pursuers, and Nissa says they need to find the Doctor to make sure that his regeneration cycle is finished. Elsewhere, the Doctor is lying on the ground, listening to the vibrations of the masked war party's movements in the distance. 
He starts to make his way up the cliff where Castro Valva is stationed, but as he goes, he gets a case of vertigo. He hears Nissa calling him in the distance, and he seems not to recognise his title. He manages to get towards the top of the cliff and sees a group of the masked figures laughing as they go through an entrance in the rock face. He is suddenly captured by others and they demand to know who he is, but he says that he isn't sure. A horn is sounded in the distance and he is brought inside the entrance, which seals over. A few moments later, Tegan and Nyssa arrive, having followed another war party that brought the pod to Castrovalva, but fail to get into the entrance before it seals over. Inside, the Doctor is brought into a grand hall where other more well-dressed people are going about their business. The masked figures commend each other on the success of their hunt, but they are good-naturedly mocked by the arrival of another man, whom they address as Shardavan. Shardavan addresses Murgrave, who is the leader of the war party, and asks about the Doctor. Murgrave says that they should inform the poor Reeve of the Doctor's arrival, but Shardavan says that he is already aware of it, and instead asks the Doctor why he is there. Doctor says that he doesn't know, and Shardavan mistakes his amnesia as a metaphor for wanderlust. Shardavan says that he is the chief librarian of Castrovalva, which amazes the Doctor as he assumed from the Murgrave and the others that they were a more tribal society. Murgrave and the rest of the war party remove their masks and furs and begin to speak in a more refined manner. Murgrave's adjutant, Ruther, calls for food and tells the Doctor that they will give him a room after he is eaten. Outside, Tegan and Nyssa continue to scale the cliff face to try and find another way into Castrovalva. Shardavan and Ruther lead the Doctor through Castrovalva, explaining to him that the clothing they wore was part of the ritual hunt that Murgrave devised for the people in order to break the monotony of their scholarly life. Shardavan explains that he wasn't at the hunt due to the fact that all the armour, which are relics from their ancestors, doesn't fit him due to his height. The Doctor jokes that this is why he makes such a good librarian as he can reach the high bookshelves. They meet Murgrave, who has prepared some medicine for the Doctor. The Doctor then asks if he is the Doctor that he has heard people looking for, but the others say that he must be referring to the Port Reeve, who fulfills the role of Magistrate of Castrovalva. They then leave, and the Doctor examines the medicine Murgrave gave him. Suddenly, an old man appears and says that it is safe to drink. He introduces himself as the Port Reeve. He tells the Doctor he will feel better in the morning, and that he will join him and the others for breakfast tomorrow where they will help the doctor find what he seeks. He then bids the doctor good night and he leaves him to get rest. After he goes, the doctor notices that the portrait addressed him as doctor. The portrait goes to the Grand Hall and observes Murgrave telling Shardavan that they have discovered Tegan and Nyssa as they were scaling the cliff and have brought them inside. They demand to see the doctor, revealing that he is who they encountered earlier. Shardavan orders them to be taken to some rooms, but they will not inform the portrait until the morning. However, the portrait makes his presence known, much to Shardavan's chagrin. En route to their rooms, Tegan and Nyssa are shown to the Doctor, who is sound asleep, and they resolve to tell him about Adric in the morning. After they leave, Adric appears in the Doctor's room. The next morning, Nyssa goes for a walk in the Grand Hall, whilst Tegan is asleep, and she notices the pod being carried by two Castrovalvans. She stops them and has them bring it to the Doctor's room. She finds him still asleep and prepares to leave after the Castrovalvans, but she stops when she sees Adric in a nearby mirror. He tells Nyssa that the Master is in Castrovalva, and he says that she needs to protect the Doctor until his regeneration cycle is complete. He warns her against telling anyone that he spoke to her, for fear that the Master will find out. Adric's reflection then vanishes as the Doctor wakes up, saying that he started to feel like his old self again, or rather his new self. On the Master's TARDIS, Adric painfully begs the Master to stop using his block transfer abilities to create fake versions of himself. 
However, the Master rejoices in the fact that his plans can proceed without interference from the Doctor and his companions. Later, the Doctor, Tegan and Nyssa join the Portree for breakfast at his home, where the Doctor thanks him for his help and his hospitality. Shardervan arrives with a stack of books that the Portree have requested. Nyssa and Tegan express interest in seeing the library, and the Portree tells Shardervan to show them whilst he shows the Doctor something else. He shows him a tapestry that can replay recent events, and they watch Nyssa and Tegan's earlier journey to Castrovalva carrying the pod between them. The Doctor commends them for their aid, but then realises that he can't remember Adric's name, even though he is sure that he was present as well. He wanders through the Grand Hall, repeating the numbers 1 and 2, and he is overheard by a small girl who helps him continue counting past them. He comments that she should have a badge for mathematical excellence, and this triggers his memory of Adric. At the library, Nissa and Tegan find no technical books, and instead bring a series of history books back to the Doctor's room to study them. A short while after they arrive, the Doctor bursts in and asks what happened to Adric. Tegan rebukes Nissa for telling him, but Nissa accidentally remarks that she promised Adric she wouldn't say anything. The Doctor gently asks her to reveal everything. The Doctor says it is time that they left, and he leads them back to the TARDIS. Nissa says that he may get sick again if they leave too soon, but he says they will just have to risk it. As they make their way through the corridors, they find themselves repeatedly entering the Grand Hall again. They soon find themselves being blocked by Shardavan, Margrave and Rooter. The Doctor starts to grow weaker again, and Nissa and Tegan help him back to his room. Once there, they find the pod missing. The Doctor looks outside and sees a series of interconnecting versions of the Grand Hall, with people disappearing in and out of them. He says that someone is manipulating Castro Valva and has caught them in a space-time trap. Part 4 The Doctor clutches his head in pain, but says that he is alright when Nissa and Tegan rush to his side. He tells them that they need to find the pot immediately, but he is too weak to go with them, leading Nissa to say that Portreeve might be able to help. The two girls then leave him and run into Rooter, whom they ask to take them to the Portreeve's house. As they keep going around in the loop, Rooter seems not to find anything unusual about what's going on. He then gets distracted by a telescope and says that the views are quite remarkable. Nissa and Tegan both take a turn and they see the pod being used by a group of washerwomen. Meanwhile, back in his room, the doctor takes one of the stacks of books that Nissa and Tegan brought back from the library. He opens one and finds a piece of paper in it, which he immediately hides when he hears someone approaching. Murgrave enters and the doctor asks him to get the remaining books of the set that he is reading from the library. Margaret returns a few moments later, and whilst the Doctor reads, he takes a look at the mirror the Doctor had placed in the window facing outwards. The Doctor asks him not to move it, saying the silver in its rear panel is helping keep his mind clear. He then asks him what he sees outside, and Margaret casually gives a description of the area, saying that it is all normal. He says that Shardavan also asks such strange questions as he hands him a glass of medicine. The Doctor, uneasy with everything that is going on around him, asks how he can trust him, and Margrave responds in looping sentences that, that he is trustworthy. The doctor then asks him to draw a map of Castrovalva. When the diagram is finished, the doctor asks Margrave to show where his pharmacy is, and Margrave is shocked as he realises that he has drawn it on each side of the map. Just then, Nissa, Tegan and Rooster return with the pod. Tegan says that they met Shardavan, and she states her belief that there is a conspiracy at play. The Doctor says that the Castrovalvans are just as ensnared as they are, as he asks Rooter to show where the Portreeve's house is on the map. 
Rusher is also shocked when he draws the house in four different locations on the map. Doctor then says that the books on the history of Castrovalva have all been made up. Tegan suggests that Shardavan must be behind it. Margaret then hears a commotion coming from outside, and he goes there to tell everyone to keep quiet whilst the Doctor is in recovery. Meanwhile, Rooter takes a look at the note the Doctor found, and he says the handwriting belongs to Shardavan. The Doctor says that he needs to see the portrait, but Margrave says that he is still too weak. However, Tegan says that they can carry him whilst he is in the pod. She goes outside with Murgrave and Rooter to explain what's going on. She then goes back inside and emerges a few moments later, carrying the pod with Nyssa. They are confronted by Shardavan, who insists on helping to carry the pod. After a while, Tegan insists that she is in charge of the Doctor's care, and Shardavan lets the procession go. He then sees someone summoning him around the corner, and he is shocked to discover that it is the Doctor, who placed all the books from the library into the pod as a decoy. The Doctor confronts him about the note he wrote, which has annotations questioning the validity of the history written in the books. The Doctor says Shardavan's intelligence was rebelling against something that is happening in Castrovalva. They attempt to go to the Portree's house, but get caught in the loop. Shardavan says that he cannot physically see the anomaly, but he is intuitive towards it and says he knows another route to take. Meanwhile, the others arrive at the Portree's house and ask him to help. However, the Portree reveals himself to be the master in disguise. He reveals that Castrovalva is a creation of his, made real via Adric's block transfer computational abilities, and he has brainwashed Adric into entering the information in the TARDIS databanks as well. The Master then attempts to destroy the pod with his tissue compressor. Tegan and Nissa then notice the Doctor attempting to climb into the room via a rear window through a vision displayed on the tapestry and tried to distract the Master. However, he hears the glass shattering as the Doctor breaks the window and he orders Murgrave and Rooter to investigate. He then demands that Nyssa help him destroy the pod, but she says that it can only be destroyed from the inside. Murgrave and Rooter encountered the Doctor and Shardavan. The Doctor begs them to help stop the Master, telling them of his evil nature, and Shardavan backs him up, saying that they had also expressed doubts about the portrait before. They return back to the Master, who is attempting to pry open the pod with a fire poker. They relay what the Doctor told them, and the Master sees an image of the Doctor on the tapestry, but insists it is a trick, and he continues his assault on the pod. The pod falls to the floor and breaks apart and reveals the deception. The tapestry then fades away to reveal Adric still ensnared in the web. The Doctor rushes in and confronts the Master, telling the others to stay back. The Master says that anyone that attempts to free Adric will die, as the webs holding him are lethal to the touch. Rooter suddenly attempts to attack him, but the Master... Rooter suddenly attempts to attack the Master but he disappears, having been deleted by the Master. He then notices Shardavan in the upper gallery, preparing to swing from a chandelier. The Master tells him that the web is the only thing keeping Castrovalva intact, but Shardavan says that he has no power over the Castrovalvan's free will, and he launches himself into the web. Oh, fuck it. The Master tells him that the web is the only thing keeping Castrovalva intact, but Shardavan says that he has no power over the Castrovalvan's free will, and he launches himself into the web destroying both it and himself, but also freeing Adric. The Doctor rushes forward to help his young friend as the Master flees into the fireplace, which is actually his TARDIS. The Doctor says they need to escape Castrovalva quickly, as it will soon begin to fold in on itself. They ask Murgrave to help lead them out. However, they eventually come to a halt as Murgrave is unable to decipher the loop. They spot the Master's TARDIS, and the Doctor says that it must have been caught in the space folding in on itself. 
Adric then says that he can navigate a way out, as he was the one who created Castrovalva. They follow his lead as he takes them out as the air is filled with the screams of the terrified Castrovalvans. Suddenly, the Master appears, and Murgrave tells the Doctor and the others to go as he sacrifices himself to hold the renegade Tile Lord at bay. More Castrovalvans appear to help stop their creator's escape, and Adric and Tegan drag the Doctor away as he refuses to leave the Murgrave behind. The TARDIS crew manage to escape just as Castrovalva completely disappears. They return to the lopsided TARDIS, and the Doctor, now sporting a stalk of celery on his lapel, asks how it got that way. Tegan proudly says that she flew it following the instructions on the databank. The Doctor reveals that no such instructions exist, and it must have been created by a brainwashed Adric to cover up the preset flight coordinates as the Master couldn't risk them not getting to Castrovalva. They then climb into the TARDIS, and Nissa asks the Doctor if he's up to flying the ship, and he smiles as he says he feels completely splendid. End of the story. So, once again, we are treated to the spectacle that is block transfer computation, questioning our reality as it is. Mm. But, as always, the one place that is definitely real, or so I've been told, (laughs) is the trivia spot. So, what have you got for us this week? Cool. So, the air date for this, which is Peter Davison's first story, the first story of season 19, is the 4th to the 12th of January, 1982. The writer is Christopher Bidmead, who we're familiar with from his uh, script editor work. Um, this is the second writing credit because he also wrote Logopolis. And we'll see his work one more time in Frontios. Frontios. I'm going to question how I say everything now. Uh, we're going to go Frontios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the director of this story is Fiona Cumming. This is the first of four directing credits for Fiona. We'll see her work again in Snake Dance, Enlightenment and Planet of Fire. She has actually worked with pretty much all the previous doctors because she was an occasional floor manager and production assistant during the 60s and 70s on the show and then she came back to direct um fiona sadly passed away in 2015 oh chris original outline was called the visitor um but his full scripts weren't this was just you know something they had to have on it i think he mentioned in the um special features that it was actually um, Jonathan Turner, who called it the visitor, um, after he actually sold the pitch, the story and the story was commissioned, and after that it was referred to as Castrovalva. The shot used in the story for Castrovalva itself, sitting on a cliffside, the name of the settlement of Castrovalva, obviously the episode title, and a couple of other things in terms of the way Castrovalva operates. Um, are inspired by the artwork of M.C. Escher. So there's an M.C. Yeah. Escher painting or print or whatever called Castrovalva, which is a city on a rock face. And so that's where he got the name and the idea of where it is. And obviously, as you're watching the episode, you know there's a lot of up is down and back is forth, you know, infinity yeah, the... um, things, which work really well with um, the idea of block transfer, the idea of mm. a TARDIS and whatever. It works really well. Um, one thing that's hilariously funny um, when you're watching particularly the special features on the Blu-ray I don't know if one of these I don't think these is available in the special features on the DVD um, so the special features on the Blu-ray you've got the behind the sofa sequence which is Blu-ray exclusive and then there's also um, the sort of making of 
documentary um, where a future Doctor Who actor, the guy who plays Turlow, whose name I've forgotten. Um, oh, Mark. I'll check there now. Yeah. So he did actually the behind the sofa. He was with Sophie Aldred. And then you had the other four together, uh, which I thought was really cool. I sent Paddy a picture of it last night. Um, but in the making of, he took the main four on a trip around like the shooting locations and stuff. Um, mm. But go on, you found his name. What is it? Uh, Mark Strickson plays Turtle. Yeah. So um, the final scene, you know, where they jog up and then they stop by the tree and then whatever. Um there was a comment that was made in the behind the sofa where like literally as soon as that scene starts Janet and Sarah and Peter they just start taking the piss out of Matthew Waterhouse (laughs) Um, and similarly in the documentary they explain why they were taking the piss out of Matthew Waterhouse basically the night before uh, they had been down the pub and Janet had discovered uh, Campari, Campari and something, was an alcoholic beverage. And so she decided because Matthew had you know, recently turned drinking age and whatever, sure, she'd buy him a few. Your man was hung over to fuck. Like he was meant to look a bit pallid because he was recovering from the effects of his imprisonment. But like, <laughs> apparently he was horrendous. The scene where like they stop by the tree and there's like a, a two shot then of like the Doctor and Tegan talking. Mm-hmm. Apparently they had to redo that a few t- uh, at least once uh, because when they went to the two shot, Matthew disappeared behind the tree to throw up. Classy. And then when they were doing the ending shot, they were slightly afraid that they would all have to get into the TARDIS prop with Matthew feeling really unwell. <laughs> And potentially about to throw up again. Jesus Christ. But it's so funny because on the behind the sofa segment, and this is where, like, I sent Paddy a picture as soon as I saw the four of them were doing it together. I was like, oh, this should make the behind the sofa really interesting. And I don't watch all of them, but I think I will for this because I think it's interesting getting the four of them together. But, like, the other three just take the piss out of him completely. And he's there, like, trying to blame Janet for buying it for him. And it's just so funny. Um, uh, the scene, there is a scene um, in the episode in Castrovalva where the doctor eats a piece of celery. You know, people who follow the fifth doctor were aware of the celery decoration, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, the clothes. Um, if you notice, it cuts really quickly. So he bites it and then it cuts straight away. The reason is he spat it out straight away <laughs> um, because he hates celery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't blame him. I'm not a particular fan of it either. Yeah. Um, during um, part two of the story, you'll notice that Nissa's costume gradually transforms from the outfit that she was wearing from Traken and then into Legopolis at the start of the story. Um, she changes into pants and then she loses her like fluffy thing. Um, I have a theory as to why this was done, which is that this was not the first story they filmed. This was actually, I think, the fourth 
story they filmed or the third story they filmed. Mm. So again, and we've seen this in previous stories, we saw it in Genesis of the Daleks, for example, where randomly in the middle of it, Sarah Jane found a, like some uh, camo pants in a cupboard and decided to change her clothes. <laughs> um, so it's a similar type of thing here. I think they had to sort of match her outfit for you know, the next story. Um, mm. Because it's interesting because... Tegan doesn't change her clothes. (laughs) So all that like rock climbing and all that kind of stuff they had to do and all that walking. Poor Janet Fielding was having to do in a really tight skirt and heels. (laughs) Um, Which is a bit awkward. Um, So yeah, so she changes pants before she leaves the TARDIS. She abandons her jacket after the whole thing with the river. And then she loses her hair comb. It gets caught by a tree branch. And that's it. That's her track and clothes gone um in the screenplay for part two tegan was meant to drink um from the stream um while nissa attempted to repair the wheelchair um that was dropped from shooting over fears that younger children might imitate it you know you never know if drinking water is fresh or if water in a stream is safe for drinking and also in the making of janet fielding said that she refused to shoot it anyway because her father is a parasite, a parasitologist, and she knew full well what could have been in that water. She did not hope they would have done it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting, and we may get this in, into this in our discussion, is the Doctor at several points during episodes one and part of episode two, um, kind of little impersonations of mm-hmm. his previous selves. Um, and the decision to do that um, was made during rehearsal when Peter Davison presented, um, you know, doing these personas um, as part of preparation for doing the role. It's like he was working his way through the stories as part of his preparation. Um, and so they decided, you know, this this would work really, really well. Um, you know, as the doctor sort of at one point he's sort of grabbing his thing and like you know mm-hmm. speaking like bill and he was doing the bit with the recorder and all that kind of stuff so it was really yeah. good um interesting things like i mentioned this is, this wasn't the first one shot of the season what was mm-hmm. also really interesting was what they did with the i suppose you'd say the reprise from logopolis right yeah because there's two things one cold open mm-hmm. which was weird it just, it was just there. It just started. Yeah. Um, they hadn't done a pre-credits scene like that before. I just don't think they have. I hadn't done bridges. Um, but the thing is that you would think that that would have just been. Yeah. No, this is the first one. Uh, yeah. Cause, I knew because I was because go- I was going through because like when Patrick Todd took over the role, they were still doing the slightly serialized format mm. plus that was in the middle of a season then obviously you had they could have started from they started from scratch with john because he never mm. appeared at the generation and then when tom took over they just there was no cold open they just went straight into the new story sequence yeah so it's the first one to have a cold open but mm. you would think that you know similar to how they did for so if you if you think think all the way back to when we talked about robot which was our proper on-screen regeneration so from planet mm-hmm. spiders into robot they went straight from filming planet of the spiders into filming robot yeah so it was that one 
so the scene at the end of Planet of the Spiders is the same as the scene from the beginning of Robot. That's not what they did here. As opposed what? to reusing the footage from the end of Legopolis, they reshot it. Tom came back, lay down on the floor, <laughs> and redid that whole bit. Ah. Oh. Um, which is why if you compare the two scenes back to back, so the ending from Legopolis and the regeneration scene, or the, the scene from um, Castrovalva, um, they actually, they look slightly different. They're very good, but they are slightly different. So there's a couple of little things that like are documented as production errors, but actually it's just because they did it again. Which is so weird. And Tom isn't credited for it. So he just came back and lay down and did the thing again. Uh, it kind of reminds you of like uh, the first two Back to the Future movies. Because like, they reshot the end of the first one, which is the start of the second one, but with a new actress. Yeah. yeah. So we have a new opening title sequence. Um, so we're sticking with stars. Mm-hmm. Which I still don't like. Not going to lie. I know that people love it. I don't like it. Um, but this time it has Peter Davison's face as opposed to Tom's. I will say Peter looks happier than Tom did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things um, that people sort of uh, call out as like a production error um, in this is the fact that uh, the Fifth Doctor isn't wearing the same shoes as his predecessor. Yeah. Um. And that isn't without precedent because like, obviously he regenerates and he's wearing the same clothes and him not wearing the same shoes isn't without precedent. Um, you know, we talked about it way back when that the second doctor apparently regenerated parts of his clothing. <laughs> yeah, his, pa- his pants. <laughs> yeah, which didn't make sense. There's no scene in that story where he changes clothes um, mm-hmm. and the first doctor's clothes apparently regenerated with him. Um, similarly, the fourth doctor has different shoes and a different jacket from what the third had. Um, the difference in Castrovalva is that the, the production team admitted they simply made a mistake. <laughs> they weren't trying to say that there was anything to do with the regeneration. They just legit fucked up and got the wrong shoes. <laughs> Which I love because you know, at the time of recording this, it's currently October 2023. The 60th is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a year ago, we had Jodie Whittaker's regeneration into David Tennant. And yep. one of the things that fucking arced me to hell was their clothes regenerated. Yep. Which made no sense. Um, so just for anyone out there who didn't want to see David in Jodie's clothes, which... Are you insane? I wanted to see that. Um, mm-hmm. And who tried to cite changing shoes as an example of this. At least in this instance, the production team admitted it. They fucked up. <laughs> I I remember reading, hearing a story just in, in relation to the Jody and David thing was that, now, like we had, I think there was theories going around that there is obviously something up with this regeneration. Hence, the clothing pattern looks very kind of reminiscent mm-hmm. of Sasha Dewan's Masters gear. But I think, uh, what was it? I think Russell T. Davis came out and said like that he didn't want to add any ammunition to the toxic side of the internet of having the David of the David appear in 
Jodie's outfit. Which is kind of strange because Sasha Dewan appeared in it in Jodie's last episode. Yeah. It's a variation I, of it. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I really do. Like, I think if anything, not having him wear the outfit would be what those people wanted. Yeah. Because it's removing any trace of Jodie's character yeah. from mm-hmm. him. Um, but that we will talk about that. Yes. Many, that- many, 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 many moons from now. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting thing about this story. Um, so for the story, the series was shifted from its traditional Saturday early evening transmission to a twice a week Monday and Tuesday transmission. Um, but this wasn't really well promoted. And so as a result, many regular viewers missed part two. Mm. Um, so in some cases, like it also went out at different times. So some people saw it as early as mid afternoon, as opposed to like the tea time, you know, six thirty, you know, normal time, um, which is a weird choice to make. Um, although it is a transmission schedule, not the exact days, but the styling that, CBBC would use for the search adventures when that mm-hmm. show came out. Yep. Um, as of the story, uh, Doctor Who now has three companions again. Mm-hmm. Um, the writers admitted they weren't a big fan of having three um, because they would constantly have to c- come up with a way to have one of the three incapacitated they found it very hard to write stories for three stories for two were doable stories for one is best um was kind of their feeling on it and everyone kind of agreed that it was a bit cluttered and on the dvd special features a lot of different talk around like whose idea was it with people saying that jonathan turner did it because he was afraid that like people would wouldn't tune in and so if you introduce more companions there's more carryover so like oh yeah yeah you know we have a new doctor but like adric is still here and remember nissa she's still here and tegan who we introduced last time she's still here and no one really gave a concrete reason as to why they had three um but most of them kind of agreed that three was too many and i think the difference between three in this versus the original three because bring in mind susan barbara ian um Mm -hmm. Barbara, Jamie, Ian, ben. Vicky, Polly, Ben, and Jamie. Like, three has been mm-hmm. done before. Um, mm-hmm. But it hasn't been seen, if you exclude K9, which we don't, but most people would. It hasn't mm-hmm. been seen since Ben and Polly. Yeah. Um, And the difference was, like, back in the day, particularly with, you know, Susan, Ian, and Barbara, and Susan, Vicky, and Barbara, was that people would take a story off they take several weeks off of work. It was their holidays. Mm-hmm. Whereas they don't seem to be doing that now, like through the seventies and into the eighties. Yeah. So it's a different filming thing. So not only do you have to find a reason for the other person to not be there, but you have to keep cutting back to them and have scenes with them to, you know, make it work. But I anyway. know. Um, so we'll see how the, how the season goes, but that's interesting that like no one seemed particularly fond of the, the crowded TARDIS as they were referring to it. Um, this is the first story to have the Doctor simply credited as the Doctor rather than Doctor Who in the credits. And it would... That's the way it remained except for Series 1 of the 2005 revival of the show. Um, 
And the reason is that Peter Davison requested that he be credited as the Doctor rather than the traditional Doctor Who, Doctor Who, because <laughs> he felt it was incorrect in the context of the show's continuity, which is something I have argued for ever. Like, you always hear, like, oh, particularly on the BBC, like, if you have, um, you're someone going Graham Norton and think, oh, and you're the new Doctor Who. And I was like, oh, it's the new Doctor Who. It's like, Doctor Who is the name of the show. He's the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, that has been really well established by now. So he was like, I don't want to be credited as Doctor Who because that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> mm. Credit me as the character. And that's what they did. They held the Doctor as the credited title up until the 1996 movie. And then for Russell T. Davis's era, the credit went back to Doctor Who again. So Christopher Eccleston was Doctor Who before David Tennant took on the role and once again requested that it go back to being the Doctor. <laughs> because I, do, he deemed do you know, do you, Doctor Who was being incorrect. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think it was because he deemed it was incorrect. I think he was trying to get in good with Peter Davison. <laughs> um, either way, though, yeah. um, the whole idea of like the Doctor being credited as the Doctor in the credits yeah. all goes back to Peter Davison. His turn. Um, <laughs> lastly, before we go on to characters, uh, the Portrieve is listed in the credits as being paid by Neil Toyne, which is an anagram of Tony Ainley. Um, this is a play on the master's habit of using either anagrams or synonyms for the master as his alias. And it was used, obviously, to prevent the reveal that the Portrieve was the master. Um, and actually, Fiona Cummings' husband came up with Neil Toyne as the alias. <laughs> Interestingly, if you watch the Behind the Sofa, mm-hmm. like I said, you've got the four TARDIS crew, and then you have Mark, you said? Mm, yeah, Mark. And um, Sophie Aldred, who plays Ace, who will have a story with Anthony Ainley during her mm-hmm. run. And literally, they're getting down to the reveal and they're watching it. And at one point, Mark's like, oh! I know who that is. And she's like, who? Who is it? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. And literally she realises it literally just before the effect fades away. Um, and it's so funny to watch her face like be like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Like, I love seeing those type of... Because sadly, I read some of the trivia before I watched the episode, so I kind of knew. Um, I also kind of guessed it anyway, because of the way the yeah. episode was running. <laughs> but I always love those types of things where you get to see a real live reaction to a reveal. Mm. It's like back when Game of Thrones was on and when Game of Thrones was good. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you had everyone posting people's reactions to the Red Wedding, um, mm. which was even funnier because obviously the Red Wedding was in the book. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I saw something because um, I think that the two biggest media surges that happened during the pandemic were podcasts mm. and also youtube reaction channels mm. it was a huge fucking surge and i actually i come across every so often because i like to see if people are like you know kind of classic you know action sci-fi drama all this kind of stuff mm. you know things that we would have grown up with and it happened and it's something i love happening someone watched the original planet of the apes and did not know the twist at the end and watching oh. their face <laughs> Yeah, no. How seriously, old was this person? Probably in their early twenties. Okay, they yeah, maybe. But no, I was like, 
but like, I was like saying, like, I, th- I remember saying, like, to you, and I've said to a few other people that what is it like? I think three of the biggest pop culture reveals that are just, or sorry, biggest reveals in cinema history that are just spoiled because of pop culture are Empire Strikes Back, Planet of the Apes, and Usual Suspects. Yeah. So the... Most of that has been spoiled by The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, it's just like one of those things that like, I'd love, like you know, to to go back and just never like, again have that experience for the first time of, um, or even as a thing because um, as a kid I watched the second one first. I watched Terminator Two before I ever saw Terminator mm-hmm. One. But seeing people do it in chronological order and in the sh- the initial showdown between Arnie and Robert Patrick, mm-hmm. and not knowing which of them is the one that's been sent back to kill John. Yeah. yeah. Actually, talking about reaction channels and stuff, um, I was talking to our friend Alan in work mm-hmm. um, about reaction channels recently. I it's really weird that you just mentioned them when we were talking the other day. And I, I do always, whenever people say about reaction channels, because that's why I said some reaction channels aren't actually reaction channels. There are people watching programs, sitting there, saying nothing, doing nothing, not actually fucking reacting. Yeah. Um, but one of the reaction channels that I do watch, semi-regularly, depending on what she's watching, is Seska Says, which I yeah. mentioned way back when, when we were way, doing way the back. first Doctor, because watching her reactions, specifically to Doctor Who, but with other things, but I still remember to this day, her reaction to the end of the chase. Because mm. you have, like, they come down from the tower, and she's sort of laughing at the fact that they've left fucking Stephen behind and whatever. And then she's sort of laughing, laughing, watching the scene. As she realizes what's happening, she just like bursts out bawling, crying. And she just sat on the couch holding herself, being like, no, no, they can't be going. They can't be going. She's <laughs> yeah. bawling her eyes out. It is the most visceral reaction I've seen um, or even heard of, of that someone had to a companion leaving. Um, I will say, if you're a classic Doctor Who fan or a modern Doctor Who fan, I highly recommend her stuff because her videos are very good. Yeah. Um, but back to our stuff. Yes. Listen to okay. Us. Listen to our stuff first, then go watch our stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about our cast. So as Shardaban, we have Derek Waring. This is his only Doctor Who acting credit. He's best known for playing Detective Inspector Goss in over two hundred episodes of Zed Cars. Mm. So. We'll, I think we can say he wins the Zedcar Grand Prize. Yeah, um, absolutely. His other non-who credits include The Escape of Ordy Seven, Moody and Peg, and Somerset Mom Hour. Mom Hour? I think it's Somerset Mom. Mom Hour. Hmm, whatever. Um, Derek passed away in 2007. As Murgrave, we have the wonderful Michael Sheard. Uh, this mm. is the fifth of six appearances from Michael. We previously saw him in The Ark, The Mind of Evil, pyramids of mars and the invisible enemy and we'll see him one final time in remembrance of the daleks i have been going back over his previous performances in my mind and i remember saying like that bernard k i think was my favorite uh guest actor on the mm-hmm. show but between bernard k uh michael sheard and oh fuck it his name it's gone from my head now but um Mad scientist from Brain of Morbius. Oh yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yep. 
yeah, the guy that plays him, like they're like, yeah, I love seeing them in the show. And when I saw Michael Sheard, I was like, yay, it's gonna be another good one. <laughs> yeah, I think with Michael Sheard, there's something about his voice mm-hmm. that I just love. I hear his voice and I'm like, oh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, I just, I just love him. He, he's amazing. He's great. I, ha- I have to find that guy's name. It's gonna fucking bug me until I've. Uh... I have it there now. One second, uh, Philip Maddock. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, as Ruther, we have Frank Wiley. Only Doctor Who acting credit for Frank. His non-Who credits include Rob Roy, The Three Princes, Fall of Eagles, Tales of the Unexpected, and Florence Nightingale. Frank passed away in 1994. Now, I mentioned last week a little bit about Janet Fielding, but let's talk a little bit more about her. Um, as she, I think, has her like first proper companion story this week um so janet was born uh janet claire mahoney on the 9th of september 1953 or could be mahoney i'm gonna go with mahoney um in brisbane in queensland australia which i find hilariously funny because at one point in the story tegan makes fun of brisbane Mm. (laughs) which i wonder if they just did because that's where janet's from um before doctor who she didn't actually have a lot of acting experience she appeared in hammer house of horror uh shelley and minder and again in the doc in the behind the sofa in the doctor they kind of talked that like you know outside of doctor who janet didn't really do much acting she was still quite new to the business when she was doing doctor who and she was still kind of learning you know as she was going um which you know we'll talk more about her performance later on but i didn't know that i, I assumed she had done plenty of other things before um interestingly depending on what your interests are um in 1982 she married the daily mirror foreign editor nicholas davies who later had allegations of being an arms dealer and a massad agent they divorced in 1991 interesting um, I guess I shouldn't do much acting after Doctor Who. Instead, she's been working as a theatrical agent and she actually represent, represented Paul McGann when he first took on the role of the Eighth Doctor. She's also been an outspoken advocate of greater women's participation in film and television, acting as an, acting as an administrator for the pressure group Women in Film and Television. She has also returned to the character of Tegan in a large number of audio stories with Big Finish and some BBC ones. And... Fans of the Revival era may recognise her from, first of all, her appearance in the five-ish Doctor's reboot, the sort of TV movie that was made around the 50th anniversary, um, where she played herself. Um, but then most recently, she was in The Power of the Doctor, where she returned as Tegan on screen. Uh, I think the only other trivia note I have for is the one that I said to you one day when we were out uh, shopping, was that she worked as, like... I think as a casting agent for a while because she read opposite uh, Sylvester McCoy in his auditions for Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, we also have a new Doctor. So we're going to talk a little bit about Peter Davison or Peter Peter Malcolm Gordon Moffat. This was what he was born. Born in 1951. Um, he was sort of seen as being a big guest to play the Doctor because he was really well known by this point for his role as Tristan Farnan in All Creatures Great and Small. Um, obviously, acting-wise, he goes by the name Davison. 
Um, but there's a couple of interesting things because we've mentioned before there is a Doctor Who director named Peter Moffat. And so Peter Davison's friends thought that when there was episodes where Peter Davison was acting and Peter Moffat was directing, they thought he was doing both. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Davison was the youngest actor to have played the Doctor in the series or in any BBC sanctioned production at the time that he took over the role. In 2010, he passed off that to Matt Smith. Um, after his time on the show, Peter would go on to reprise the role in two children's in, children in need specials, one being Dimensions in Time, which we've mentioned a couple of times before, and also in Time Clash. He has also done a lot of Doctor Who audio dramas, novelizations, big finish productions, etc. since 1999. What I didn't know, right? Going back to Peter Moffat, oh, Peter, did you direct yourself, right? Mm-hmm. The previously mentioned Five-ish Doctors reboot was written and directed and starred Peter Davison. Mm. So he actually wrote, directed, and started on himself. For anyone who hasn't seen it, because it was one of those things that you sort of saw online, particularly if you lived outside the UK, you may not have seen it unless it was on like a DVD or whatever, um, or you looked up on YouTube. Um, it was a comic film released on the BBC Red Button, which is like the BBC like extras yeah. thing. Um, for the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, the day of the doctor and it had peter davison colin baker sylvester mccoy all kind of bemoaning the fact they weren't fucking in it (laughs) (laughs) which i just think is brilliant it's so good um after leaving doctor who sorry go on I, uh, in the second volume of Space Helmet for a Cow, I read a thing, uh, like it was a section on that and like, because they were saying like the five-ish doctors where like they had tried to get Tom and Tom was very coy about it because he, uh, was basically under an NDA that he couldn't say anything about his appearance in the 50th. Mm. And they were like, kind of like, going, he's being a bit of a prick about this, isn't he? And then like, <laughs> when they actually go, oh wait, shit, he's actually in it. No wonder he. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. Um, after leaving Doctor Who, Peter continued to appear occasionally on television Um, He had an appearance on Magnum P.I., which I wasn't aware of, and I'm sure our friend Norm Mm -hmm. probably knew and could have told me. Um, (laughs) The last thing, which, I mean, if you're a fan of modern Doctor Who and you haven't watched the classic run of the show for whatever reason, right? Just not your bag. You didn't want to watch it. Or you're 12 and, you know, don't have access to it or whatever. Um, A lot of people of the revival there are still familiar with Peter Davison, the person because of the interesting connection between Peter Davison and David Tennant. So Peter had a daughter with his first wife. Uh, that daughter's name is Georgia Moffat. Um, Georgia actually auditioned for Rose Tyler, which I didn't know. And I would have quite liked to see um, for the Doctor Who revival. She also auditioned for a role um, in The Unicorn and the Wasp, which I also wasn't aware of, um, before finally being cast as Jenny, the titular character 
in the series sorry in the series four episode the doctor's daughter which aired a few months after peter davison's appearance in time crash <laughs> she also voiced an anime uh, an animated character in dreamland but so okay we have peter davison the doctor has a daughter named georgia moffat georgia moffat goes on to play the doctor's daughter jenny in an episode of doctor who opposite a man by the name of david tennant georgia moffat then marries david tennant so david tennant married the doctor's daughter as in the actress who played the doctor's daughter in the show Mm. and also the woman who is the daughter of the doctor peter davison and i love 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 (laughs) when peter davison and david tennant do conventions together because you'll always see pictures popping up on twitter or on whatever social media of like um them like standing with signs and like so you've got like peter davison sort of standing with a sign being like you know he's not that good and then david was like (laughs) that's not what your daughter says (laughs) (laughs) and i love it so like i said like if you're a fan of david tennant's era on the show and if you've never watched a single classic episode you probably still know peter davison because of that weird connection and there's obviously there's the the very famous convention story of the fan asking what's the greatest gift a doctor who fan has ever given you to address it to peter davison and someone else shouted out a grandchild (laughs) <laughs> I think people have asked that of David as well. It's like, what's the greatest thing that one of the previous doctors has given you? And he's like, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and when we, like, way back in our early days, when we appeared on the Half Measures podcast, mm. Paul tried to trick us out with uh, numbering in the quiz that they gave us. <laughs> oh. So, trivia galore, thank you so much. You're welcome. I know, I said that really weird. (laughs) Um, So, we now come into the character discussion component of the podcast, where we will talk about the Doctor, the companions, who uh, this week I have selected Adric, Tegan, and Nyssa, Mm -hmm. uh, prominent characters who I have... Put, I put down initially Shardavan, Murgrave, and Ruther, mm-hmm. and also villains of the Master. Yep. And for those of you that are new to the show, where I say I have selected is that because I do the story recaps, I kind of focus on the characters that I think are the major components. I send them on to Trish, and then we kind of go at the end. Will we discuss this person? Will we not? Or will we just give them as a trivia only uh shout out yeah. but yeah it, so you're it's also because, because paddy does the recaps again if you're only joining us now paddy does the recap every week because i don't have the patience to do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, which means that he watches like you may have already started watching next week's episode i'm not quite sure but you start not watching yet, no. the episode a lot earlier than i do i literally watch it in one run the night mm. before <laughs> Whereas Paddy watches it several days before me because he has to write up his uh, his summary. So yeah, so we also do socials go first. Mm-hmm. So I go first. Yay! Yay! 
<laughs> okay. The Doctor. Yes. I, so far, I'm impressed. I have not seen a lot of Peter Davison as the mm-hmm. Doctor. I've seen the five Doctors about 15 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really about it. Bar time crash and <laughs> the five-ish Doctors, which was mainly just Peter. Um, I'm quite impressed. I The only thing I didn't like, and this isn't a slight on Peter, nothing to do with Peter, was I think it took too long for the Doctor to become himself again. Mm. Like, it takes to, like, what, like, halfway through episode three? Yeah. And I'm just like, that. it was just too long. Um, but what we got during that two and a half episodes, like, I mentioned it in the trivia, I loved all his little nods to the ones that came before. Mm. And Peter did them brilliantly i particularly love his heart because he does the little heart giggle and i absolutely adore it um i think he has a really good dynamic with each of his companions which is really good one thing i didn't mention in trivia actually because remember that there is because they shot these out of order um and that was apparently because jonathan turner wanted peter to settle into the role for his first story so he wouldn't be nervous um it meant that Um, the director had a bit of a problem because she had to sort of keep reminding the actors you're not friends you don't know him very well (laughs) he's newly regenerated um which i think kind of the story struggled a bit like at some time some points he's a bit too pally pally i think um not only because he's just regenerated but because like particularly for tegan he only met her last story do you know Mm -hmm. um and obviously, he spends most of the story with Nissa and Tegan, so whatever. But overall, I really liked him. I think he gets the Doctor very well. Um, I think, you know, anything I have an issue with is story-related, mm-hmm. not characterization-related. Um, but yeah, overall, I think for a first outing, I think he did very well. I think Peter fits the role very well. Um, I'll be honest, I was a bit concerned because I didn't remember much about him. And Tom is Tom has really big shoes and big hair to fill. Yeah. And kudos to Peter, I think he did great on it. Um you know, like I'm perfectly happy to keep watching. It's not like, oh my god, like it's gonna take me ages to get used to him. No. Like literally the end of the first episode, I'm like, this guy seems really fun. I'm looking forward to to watching more of his stuff. Mm. Um how about you? What did you think of him? Um, so the one thing that was always kind of remote, like that sticks out uh, from Peter Davison as a positive in my mind is that uh, impression sequence of both because he does like he does Bill, he does uh, Trouton, and he also does uh, John. Mm. Um, uh, so not too shabby with the impressions. Um, no, like yourself, I thought he did a really good job. The one thing that I thought was actually done quite well is and I don't know whether it's intentional or not but if you take a look at the moments when he's in crisis mm. you know when he's uncertain he acts very much his physical age he acts yeah. very young uncertain like uh, he's kind of panicky about everything 
but when he has his respite in the zero room and everything comes back to him, you can actually see the huge mental maturity from all his previous experiences, incarnations present. So he, like Peter Davison does a really good job of playing two different ages of the doctor here, both mm. kind of newborn and also the experienced traveler that he is. Mm. Um, and I think, and this is actually kind of kudos to the director, to Fiona as well, because you said that he brought her, he had, she had to remind them you're not friends at this stage. Mm. And I think that's kind of well exemplified by the interaction he has with all three of them. Mm. Because like, no, he does, he only links up back with Adric at the very end. But once Adric is there, it's like, great, my friend is here. With Nyssa, you can see the bond that they developed in, on track and has carried over. And with Tegan, you can, I, I think it's more exemplified at the very end when, you know, he he kind of, maybe a bit harshly, says, yeah, you didn't pilot the TARDIS. It was, <laughs> it was, you didn't do as much as you think you did. And it's like a bit of a deep cut, like, you know, but it, I think it actually kind of fits in well with the whole, I don't really know who you are type thing. So I think hats off to the director to bring that out of them again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, like I'm, I, cause as I've said a couple of times before, my memories of Davison's era are kind of just, I felt it was bland, but going back now and redoing it for this, I'm after this after watching Castro Valva again. I'm fully open to being as impressed as I was with this with his performance in this story. Me too, me too. Mm. Um, he did also spend half the story in a box. I don't think there's much else we can say about him, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because like the, the story structure is very strange. It is because like we talked before about was it Horns of Naiman? For one episode, the Doctor is literally just in the TARDIS, mm. trying to get out. He does nothing. Here we have two episodes of him stuck in the TARDIS, and he's going through a a, a crisis, so we don't actually get a feel of who his Doctor is. Mm. So yeah, like it's yeah, kind of structure wise, it's a bit higgledy piggledy. But mm. um, yeah, but on to the companions. Cool. So we've Adric, Nissa, and Tegan. Who yeah. should we do first? Um, the order I would kind of push it would be uh, Adric first, then Tegan, then Nissa at the end. Cool. So with Adric, I mean, there isn't a lot of him yeah. in this story. Um, and the bits of him we do see are like mental projections of the actual mm-hmm. Adric. It, it's weird. It, it's weird. Um, I think Matthew Waterhouse, though, did a very good job of it mm-hmm. um, with what he was given. Um, I love his bit at the beginning where he's trying to talk to the security guards. He's like, (laughs) hey, you wanted to find aliens. That's who we are. We're from up there. (laughs) Do you know, clearly (laughs) trying to blag it. Kind of carries on from last week or last time when he was like, he stole the bicycle and, (laughs) you know, whatever. Um, He did have one of two bits of I know more than you with (laughs) like Nissa and Tegan. Um, in like that first bit when they, well, when his mental projection is in the TARDIS. But given the way the story works, I don't know if that was meant to be him I, actually meaning I, it or. 
what? Because like, I don't think that's the real Adric. I no, think, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think it's just a projection of, like, there's an awful lot about Adric's abilities here that would play into questions I have about other characters. Yeah. Um, like, I suppose the big thing about Adric here is that we find out that he can do that computation. Mm-hmm. And the things that they were doing on Logopolis, Adric can do that. Um, and to be honest, that really goes beyond he won a prize for maths. Like yeah. <laughs> that goes really far beyond it. Like this implies, like again, I mentioned it before, but this is a really like you know, sort of the Wesley Crusher, um, mm-hmm. traveler, you know, level of intelligence, which I think actually works for his character. I have absolutely zero issue with it. I the only thing is, and again, this is a writing thing. How would the master nor care about that? Like the master bigs up this big convoluted plan unless the master escaped Legopolis, sat around thinking about it for fucking ages and then went back in time to pick up Adric and kind of go, oh wait, no, your man had a fairly big brain. Mm. I don't go back and use big brain boy. Like that, but that to me is more of a writing problem Yeah, it's more of a story than an Adric like, problem. Yes. Um, I think, you know, Adric trying to get through to people trying to keep them safe and what i love is that and this is something that's true for the other two as well he just wants to protect the doctor he's like don't tell him i'm missing because it'll derail him it'll you know he won't heal as quickly or whatever which is lovely the question i have which for adric maybe isn't as big a problem he adapted very quickly to the fact the doctor regenerated like, he just took that on the chin, which mm. might be easier to explain for him than it will be for Nissan Tegan, who we'll get to in a minute. Uh, actually, just a quick question. The Adric that appears in the mirror, is that not a forced projection by the Master? Because the Master seems happy with the fact that no no one will interfere with his with his plans. Because when Adric's... Actually, no, you're right. It, yeah, for, scrap all that, but so... Yeah. But... In first, he is still worried about the doctor in general. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, like absolutely, yeah. Because like the, this is the the only kind of real point I have about Adric as Adric is mm. that for the entire thing of the thing he's trapped, he's still trying to resist the master and he's still trying to outmaneuver him. And mm. like no, as we've seen before, he's got a shit poker face. <laughs> so like the whole thing of like you know yeah I'll join you. At which point the master's like you did that way too easy. No, I don't fucking trust you. You can stay stay in the web. Um, so yeah, no, it's I the the bits of actual Adric that we see here are good, as you said. Like the he's got the blag, um, trying to get the you know the guards tricked, and also I'm just kind of wondering, like you know, the mental abilities or the intuitiveness, because it's like. It almost seems like he's only distracting the guards so Tegan can get in, can hijack the ambulance. But he wouldn't have seen what Tegan has seen of the keys being in the ignition. So I'm just again kind of wondering like, is he intuitive? Is he small but psychic? Or is it just, oh, that was lucky? Um, I think he just assumed the keys would be in it. Okay, cool. Um, but no, it was, it was like, I did like the bits where he's trying to resist the master and then when he comes back and he's he's reunited with the doctor and he's like 
I can get us out of here because technically I designed the whole fucking place. Mm. So I thought that that was cool. So while yeah, he's not hugely in, involved here, he's not weak in it either. Yeah. The one who surprised me the most in this was Tegan. Right. Hold on to your butt, Patty. I actually liked her in this. Oh, interesting. I thought she was really good. Um, I loved the way she dealt with the situation on the TARDIS itself, the event one thing. Um, you know, even though the doctor was saying, like, yeah, you didn't actually pilot it or whatever. Like, she took charge. She was like, cool, this is what we're doing. And that was something I quite liked. Um, and it sort of, it sort of reminded me of a of a of a first doctor episode was when the doctor was like, you know, Tegan, you're the organizer, you're to keep everyone on track because you don't understand the science as well as the other two do. So mm. you do that. Nissa, you're tech, you're mm-hmm. hands on, you're you're the engineer, whatever. Adric, you're big brain boy, you're doing the maths and you know how to play the ship. Like he gave them clear actions and she took hers. 100% seriously. Again, we need to remember this is her second outing. Mm-hmm. Um and she did so well just to be like fuck it, no. I like this guy. He was good to me. He's a good guy. I'm going to she's so protective of him. Mm-hmm. It's actually really good. Um particularly at the end when she doesn't realize <laughs> that the thing is full of books because she yeah. stepped out for a minute. Um, and she goes up to Shardavan and she's like, he's my responsibility. I'm responsible. To, you know? And you could say, like, oh, that's her air hostess training coming through or whatever. But if you compare the way she was this story versus last story, where it was a lot of, again, them trying to play into the air hostess side, but I don't think it played as well last story. Mm-hmm. But here you can clearly see she does well in a tricky situation. She leads, she, you know, does recon, she pushes forward, whatever. Very good. The only negative I have with the way she's written is she's too accepting of the regeneration for my for, for my for my book. Um mm-hmm. Adric, like I said, it kind of makes sense. The doctor probably explained it before. Nissa, well, this version brought her there. So Maybe he explained. Um, but also, Nissa is from a different time and place. She understands more about the universe. Tegan is a contemporary human. She is very accepting of the regeneration thing. And mm-hmm. I think part of the way Janet played that, and I don't mean to fault Janet on this, but I think it goes back to what Fiona Cummings was saying, that she had played his friend for several stories. Yeah. And... I can kind of see how Fiona would have struggled to pull her back to be like, you don't actually know this guy that well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like if you compare her reaction to Ben and Polly, who lost their yeah. fucking mind. Particularly Ben. Yeah, because Polly grew very... I think she'd have to much quicker than Ben did because Ben is still very sussy of him. I think until at least episode four. Yeah. Um, and it could just be that she sees him as being weak. She she watched him fall, like she whatever. I just think they glossed over it a bit too much. I think it was a bit easy for her. Um, mm-hmm. but overall, like credit where it's due, I actually really liked Tegan in this episode. How about you? So, um, yeah. So like, I sometimes uh, depending on what our recording schedule is like, 
uh, I might go back and rewatch the story. And I'm kind of glad I did because prior to the, like, us being unable to record last week, hmm. uh, I had done, like, the first three episodes and I was going to do the fourth one, but then we said, look, you know, like, oh, we can't record this week. So then I just rewatched it again last night uh, as I finished off the fourth episode. I'm glad that I did because um, there were times where it was coming across that Tegan is trying to, I would say, unwarrantedly insert herself into a position of leadership in situations. And that's because it kind of comes across that way. Um, and as you said, like with the whole, I am in charge of the doctor's care. And once they're on Castro Valva, or also drink for every time that she looks pleased with herself for finding Castro Valva and saying its name. <laughs> um, but once they kind of land on Castro Valva, she does really kind of take the lead on everything. And it is kind of a strange thing because on in the first two parts. She needs to be reassured by Nissa. Like Nissa is the one that's kind of in charge. But as you pointed out, the doctor says like everyone has a part to play, and once you're in the situation that your part is up in, you're like you you obviously take the lead on it. Nissa, because she was the tech head, was the perfect person to try and save the TARDIS and take all the actions and take the leadership there as this thing is still in crisis mode. But once we're in the place where we're meant to be, Janet's, as you say, kind of a flight attendant, but also just, I think, her innate leadership, or sorry, Tegan's uh, lead, innate leadership and her caring for people does tend to take over. Mm. And again, it kind of comes to, to follow on from my comment last week, which is at times it comes across like she's being a bit abrupt or i don't like i won't say obnoxious because it's the wrong word mm. but it's just being a small bit too in your face about stuff but again it's like this is a brand new situation for her and she's just trying to keep herself grounded by doing what she can in a way that she in the way that she knows that she can because mm. you know she calls back to like you know uh she said that her you know her dad once said that if was the greatest your concept mm. in the world and so yeah it's like uh, I like of the two of them I like we'll talk about it there now in a moment uh, I thought Nissa, like I like Nissa more in this story than I like Tegan but at the same time that doesn't mean I dislike Tegan mm. I actually thought she did a really good job here mm. and it's a nice carry on from the previous story mm. so then we have Nissa um, mm. I liked Nissa in this one Mm-hmm. My, I had two major issues mm-hmm. and then I'll talk about the bits I did like my two major issues were I wanted more of a reaction out of her with the master we get a little yes. reaction but not as much as I wanted similar to mm-hmm. Logopolis I want more out of that mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't for the way the characters had been set up because we know that Adric understands all this stuff and he was learning from the fourth doctor or whatever. I almost would have rather the doctor kidnapped Nyssa or that the master kidnapped Nyssa rather than Adric. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make sense in the story for it to have been Nyssa. <laughs> it makes sense yeah, for it to have yeah. been Adric. Um, so that kind of bothered me. I, I do want to see Nyssa have a proper fucking 
break down or freak out or like proper vent about that um the other thing i wasn't a big fan of is for the most part once they get to castrovalva the planet she doesn't really have a whole lot to do the duo of the two of them i think first of all i think this and Tegan work great together as a duo but I don't think because like there was no technobiology books or there was no like we don't see her researching. We don't see her like once they reach Castrovalva, she followed Tegan and then she was kind of following Tegan's lead. And yeah, she did get that message from Adric slash Master or whatever. But I don't think they gave her as much to do in Castrovalva itself mm. as I would have liked. Um, yeah. I would like to have seen more of her figuring things out. Um, or like, you know, we had her, like she was trying to fix the wheelchair, although why they couldn't just push the wheelchair without the motor, I don't quite understand. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, we had her doing that. But after that, and up until the end, where she was in on the fact, the fact that the doctor wasn't in the thing. She doesn't really do as much in Castrovalva as I would have wanted. Mm. Um, and, you know, like I said, maybe that's just because, okay, she was taking lead in the TARDIS, now they've landed, Tegan taking front. I think it would have given if they gave her some more research to do or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, though, I really liked her. I think her scenes with Tegan are great. I'm loving that dynamic. Um, I love how like she just does do you know what I mean like when it came to like the issues with the TARDIS when it came to all that kind of stuff she just does do you know she's like no freaking out (laughs) the one thing that freaked her out the most is falling in a river yeah other than that she was like no this is what needs to be done I'm going to do it I'm going to take the panel I'm going to do this I'm going to do that very methodical yep this is what it is and this is great and I'm curious to see where they go with that um, and with all three of them. The Doctor has now defined their roles. Are we going to see them growing in those roles or like you know, maintaining those roles as the episodes progress? Because um, I'm kind of looking forward to like we had Fourth Doctor and Adric. I kind of want Nyssa and the Fifth Doctor to kind of be science bro or like Mm-hmm. science sibs or whatever do you know i kind of mm-hmm. want that dynamic yeah you know um like we got a bit with zoe but not as much as i maybe would have wanted i don't think it'd be quite on the level of john and liz as in yeah liz shaw um but i want to see that and i think it would look i think it would look really well with these two um yeah. if we get to see that how about you what were your thoughts on this pretty much the exact same as yours like it's a mixed bag for me because I think Nissa is really good in the start of the story. She's great. The fact that she's just, as you say, yeah, she just does it. She just, like, I have a task to do. I need to stop this ship from sinking, crashing, burning, whatever the case may be. Um, so I loved the the ad hoc repair mode that she's in. And her plus, I I love her interactions with the Doctor for do, for those two episodes hmm. you know like where she's helping him with the zero room or she's he's telling her what to do in order to like do the manual override system and 
it's great because we get to see her strong scientific acumen, which is fantastic. Mm. I love it. Uh, but as you say, yeah, once they do get to Castro Valva, she does kind of take a back seat to to everything else or to mm. everyone else, which is a shame. And I also, I wanted her to have a showdown with the master, like our proper confrontation, because it, after everything that happened to her, she needs to have a small bit of catharsis. She needs to have that confrontation. Like it's, it's all well and kind of good, you know, that, oh, is, is the master potentially dead? Now well, we know that he didn't get out of Castrovalva in time, but she didn't get to have that moment with him. She, she didn't get to have that. You're the, the I want to look into the eyes of my father's killer type thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's two things with Nessa. One, she didn't get to grieve her father's death. And yeah. two, his killer going around wearing his face. Yeah. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. No. And they haven't given her the strength or the the frame of scope to cover that. And mm. one thing Chris Bidmead said in the behind the scenes was that um, Jonathan Turner wanted the companions to all be unique. He wanted them to be complex. He wanted them to be characters in their own right. And I think back to the encounter I told you about the how Janet Fielding, da, 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 where she made a comment about how Tegan was different from the companions that came before. And I think I misunderstood her because Jonathan Turner saw these characters that their primary function was to be the character, not to be the assistant. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way Christopher Bigme described it, was that he wanted each of the characters to be able to grow and evolve, which is great, but which is a big departure from the companions that are there to support the Doctor, which is what we would have seen in previous iterations. So I do find myself wondering if all those years ago, when I got a giant chip on my shoulder over a comment made by Janet Fieldy at a convention, if that's actually more what she was referring to, that her character was intentionally written or you know, presented to her as being, we want to do something different intentionally, as opposed to growth through, you know, circumstance it's like intentional mm. do you know so i'm gonna be mm. curious to see if that plays out for yeah. all of them because apparently that's what john Nathan turner wanted so but he also wanted it to be less campy so you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see um then we have our prominent characters i'm gonna be honest with you i mm. don't have a whole lot to say about any of these people okay um i think for who they are and what they are they're all very good Again, Michael Sheard, just love forever. Um, Margrave and Ruther, I think, are probably the two that you'd sort of lump together more because they're the most taken in by the thing around them. Mm-hmm. Um, they live the moment, they live the experience. Um, but they're both very kind, they're both very open-minded. Like, once you ask them the question, they're like, holy fuck, what is mm-hmm. this? They challenge, like, poor Ruther just getting deleted from mm. reality was horrendous. Um, 
I think they both did really well. Um, Shard of an good red herring, you know, you kind of think that he's doing weird stuff, mm. whatever. Great red herring, played it well. Love the way that they resolved that with him. You know, it wasn't redemption by death. It was, you know, confirming who he is and whatever. Mm-hmm. That was great. Um, the three of them together, incredibly fucking sexist. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, oh, the woman. way they treat Nissa and Tegan the minute they arrive. Like, in private, mm. they're a little bit nicer to them. Mm. Each of them is a little bit nicer. But in public, the three of them were like, what? You want what? You want an audience? You want anything? But you're only women. Women yeah. do the caregiving. Women do the da da da. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that. But for characters that were essentially a creation of Adric and the Master's minds together, mm. they were interesting. Do you know? Mm-hmm. I don't get the hats thing. The hats thing is weird. Yeah, see, told you, funny hats. Yeah, the funny hats thing is weird. I don't get it. Um, but I think they were interesting characters. I felt bad for Ruther. I felt bad for Shadowban. Margrave, mm. I love the fact that he wouldn't leave the rest of the people behind because, like, in this reality, he's their doctor, he's their caregiver, and he wouldn't yeah. leave them behind, which is lovely. I don't really see them as individual characters all that much beyond that. Okay. But I thought they were good prominent characters for what they were. Okay. Uh, well, I, out of the three of them, I think Rooter is probably the um, the least developed. All I can mm. say is that he's got, he's got, he's a great example of make sure you bring your brother with you energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like he his, also doesn't get a high hat. He gets a little, um, yeah, carefully. He doesn't snuggy. bang his head hat. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a scrum cap. Um, but like, he's, like he he's like one of those court nobles you see in like just old uh Tudor based English movies, you know? Hmm. Uh but like his sudden just erasure from existence is it is actually just very shocking to watch. Like it does hmm. take you back. Um Murgrave, uh like in a for me, like in a slew of sac- tragic sacrifices throughout this story, his one hits the most. His one hits mm. the hardest for me because I loved his interactions with everyone, especially the doctor, mm. you know, when they were alone. And like, he's got that, as you said, he's got that soft voice, that very, he's like very timid and mild mannered way about him. And it's the exact same as he was as um, Lawrence in Pyramids of Mars, mm. you know? Uh, like that sort of like eager to learn person um but despite that you know despite being so mild-mannered and soft he performs the ultimate sacrifice in trying to prevent the master from escaping and like mm. it's it's not that he's injured or anything like that it's like he actively tries to push the doctor away whilst he goes back to hold off the master yeah uh Shardavan, i think is is probably the most interesting of them because of as you said, like the red herring slow reveal of his true nature, I thought that was done quite well. Um, because like atrocious, you're like, is he some sort of dark manifestation of the master within Castrovalva? Um, but like his whole demeanor, it is actually a facade, mm. so that he can kind of his skepticism about his surroundings goes unnoticed. People just think he's like a a sour elitist 
So that way they leave him alone to be able to conduct his own investigations. Mm. The one question I would ask, though, about it, about, about Shardavan specifically. Is Shardavan a failsafe created by Adric? Or did Shardavan gain his own sentience towards his existence? I like the first option. Yeah. I like the idea that what we saw in the show as like someone being puppeted by the master or whatever, even like, you know, he's got dark hair and mm. the goatee and whatever. Um, I I do like the idea that he was Adric's creation. Because the master said very early on that Adric's projections were able to like be independent of like whatever direction that they were given. So I think I think that Adric I, I, I kind of go with the, the first option is that Adric created Shardavan with like a fail safe measure which is question your surroundings Yeah, I like that, I like that if, even if that's not the case, I, I like that headcanon and yeah. I want to go with it Because it kind of reminds me of um, I know you didn't read it but uh, comics years ago House of M, where Scarlet mm. Witch rewrites reality, but she from what I remember, she actually creates an entire person that is a failsafe that is able to remember the previous world and unlock everyone else's memories of the previous world. Um, also, <laughs> when I was writing the recap, I said that, oh, he prepares to swing from a chandelier. Mm-hmm. Chandelier by Sia came into my head. <laughs> so I just, I had that in my head while he, I watched that scene. Uh, but yeah, no, like, so I think Shardavan was the most interesting character. Murgrave was the most tragic of them. Mm. And poor Ruther was fucked. Yeah, poor, yeah, poor Ruther was just like, it's like, no, like someone just shot the comic relief character. Mm. <laughs> and then we have the mm. master himself. I have now formed my opinion on Anthony Ainley's master. Go for it. So, Roger Delgado's master we had sort of agreed was big ideas, uh, manic crazy person, but constantly relied on other people who ultimately stabbed him in the back. And never learned his lesson. No. Anthony Ainley's master, insane. Mm -hmm. I think because Delgado was a bit of a gentleman. Ainley is just fucking mental. Yeah. High intelligence, low wisdom. He comes up with the most convoluted, insane Rue Goldberg machine-like plans. But he still tries to open a box you can't open with a crowbar. Yeah. He can see 50 steps ahead, but not one. Yeah. Um, He can see steps two to 50, but not step one. But not step one. Um, Or he sees step one. And doesn't see the string before it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like. I think he's really fun to watch. I love his interactions. People actually really liked his interactions with Adric. I thought they were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that man needs to sort of. Like we, we sort of said it last week. He thinks he's the most intelligent person around. And so he mm-hmm. cannot possibly conceive. That someone would be more intelligent than him. And the fact that in this, the person more intelligent than him 
is really Adric. Mm-hmm. Which I like. It's Adric, the Doctor, and Nissa, really. Because Tegan doesn't really have much to do in that in that last bit, which is which is fine. Like, why would she? Um But yeah, so I like him. I think he's interesting. I think this is the full display though of Batrick Crazy of doing all of this just to fuck with the Doctor. That's all it's for. Mm-hmm. Castrovalva was made up it had no power in and of itself he could have used Adric to create fucking anything and yeah. he created a fucking death trap for the doctor why? because it'd be fucking fun that's why <laughs> I'm liking it, it's really going towards the modern master that we're used to seeing mm-hmm. and I like the way Anthony Ainley plays it, how about you? so yeah um, sorry just another quick thing there and I just remembered about Shardavan mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he's the because he's the only person over a certain height in Castrovalva, he's the only man that doesn't get caught up in the the ritual hunt. So therefore, mm. he's free of that loop as well. Mm. So yeah, leaning more towards my thing of Adric creating him as a failsafe. Um. So yeah, like a trap within a trap. Interesting, but the fact that the secondary trap was such huge overkill on your part. Like sending the doctor back to the dawn of creation and like and to getting engulfed in the inferno that is the Big Bang. Yeah, that's that's a fucking rock solid thing. But why not have it like why not just ensure that that's the thing that kills him? Like have your facsimile Adric create like essentially Deep Space Nine the TARDIS, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they have fail saves for fail saves for fail saves rather than coming up with this big huge elaborate fucking scheme that you were requiring on one of the doctor's companions to create and even after you point out the fact that he can create manifestations that work independently of the grand design so yeah like just again a bit I, I think it's because he loves dressing up me too I think it's he because he loves being a, and this pun is intentional, master of disguise. <laughs> <laughs> but within that, but it actually in that capacity, Anthony Ainley is a fucking talented actor. Oh, he's, he is. He's amazing because, like, watching him as, oh Christ, I need to fucking think of his get his name. Um, Tremas. Mm. Like, watching him as Tremas was amazing watching him as the master like you know with that lower jutting fucking row of teeth because he's also got incredibly sharp canines as well which also kind of adds an element of fucking eeriness to him but then seeing him as the Port Reeve and like being kind of creepy as well because you notice a point that he's like pawing at the doctor and mm. it's like this weird like you know you're like spider to the fly, you're in my parlor type thing, you know? Um, but yeah, again, it's just like so much fucking overkill. I like, oh, I, I still say like that the smartest incarnation of, I think of the master that we've seen was probably the one back in the deadly assassin. Mm. Um, and like, or even like the, that one, and if it's potentially the same person, the one at the start of the Keeper of Tracking, 
because it's like you're you're patient you're playing the long game you're being fucking smart about it why is it that when you get a fully functioning good looking body that you just actually start acting like a fucking idiot again mm. uh so yeah it's i did like his kind of back and forth with adric because it's it reminded me a small bit of delgado and joe because mm. you know the way that he would sometimes refer to you know he would miss grant and I think I think the one that kind of leaps out to me was the timekeeper, or sorry, the time monster, where I thought the master and Joe had a really good interaction there, and also his last story, um, Frontier in Space. Uh, so yeah, you kind of get that element here with Adric and the master, but again, I would have loved to have seen him with Nissa, like properly with Nissa, you know? Yeah, I think I think they missed a beat on that, and yeah. I get it. The TARDIS was a bit crowded. Um, you know, like I said, I get that. But at the same time, I think it was a missed opportunity. I think there's so much that could have been done with that. Um, that would have been so good. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. No, I think Anthony would have played really well opposite her mm. as well like we saw that even like the little bit we got in Legopolis yeah we saw that there was um a good dynamic between the two of them um but again they already have three companions there's a lot going on you know it's you know how much can you fit in really do you know what I mean so mm. I don't know if you have the blu-ray of this I don't think you do do you no, not yet. Um, but in that making of documentary, um, Mark actually shows the others that after he had, you know, been asked to come back as the master of Anthony Ainley, actually sent John Nathan Turner a letter, mm-hmm. basically saying, "Thank you so much. I'm just having so much fun, and thank you for bringing me back. I love playing this character, and it's just like." I'll have, to, I'll have to see if I can find the clip for you on YouTube, Paddy. Maybe you can find it. But it, it is so sweet that clearly Anthony loved playing this character. Like, mm-hmm. he clearly thought it was fabulous. And um, he sent Johnny to turn her a letter, like a physical fucking letter saying, thanks. Thanks for having awesome. me back. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm having so much fun. Like, that's great. That's a lovely it thing is. to hear, particularly when you're playing the bad guy. Do you know? Yeah. Um. I think it's really lovely. So, we now come to the overall section of the podcast where we each give our ratings of the story out of five. So, Trish, because socials go first, tell me your thoughts. I have mixed thoughts on this story. Um... First of all, that pre-credit scene, because I hit play all episodes and it was just there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me a bit by surprise. It's <laughs> like okay, <laughs> this is new. Um, okay, I'll do the bits I didn't like first, and I'll circle back. I think the pacing on this story was seriously fucked. Mm-hmm. They oh, spent yeah. so long in the TARDIS. And then so long walking to Castrovalva. There are so many scenes. And of course, 
the grounds of this place where they filmed it are beautiful. The scenery is lovely. But there are mm-hmm. so many scenes of Nis and Tegan just walking. We can't get up the cliff this way. We'll try to go up the cliff that way. We'll keep climbing this way. We'll keep... But to fucking get to Castrovalva already. <laughs> like, it took so long. Um, so I wasn't a big fan of that. I, th- I thought it took way too long, which meant that Peter didn't have a lot to do because mm-hmm. it was taking so long. And yeah, it meant that we got to have, like I said, I loved Tegan during those sequences. I thought she was great. I loved the dynamic with Nessa because that's why Nessa as well is just like, bitch, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> Like, what is this? <laughs> I don't think you know where we're going, but I'll keep following you anyway, but I'm convinced you're fucking making shit up. Um, I think the pacing could have been better. The other thing as well is when we get to the breakdown of what has actually happened, mm-hmm. you've got Adric in the web. He never actually returned to the TARDIS. It was a projection from the web. And then everything that comes after that, like, I kind of felt like I needed to do, like, that episode is it from Parks and Rec, where every man has, like, the board with all the string. Or not yeah. from Parks and Rec, um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, it's and always I'm like, sunny. I'm just like, <laughs> dude, what are you on about? What are you on about? Like, Castrovalva is a creation. It was created by the master, but it wasn't actually created by the master. It was created by Adric. How much was Adric brainwashed versus how much was he just forced to do something? Because that's another thing that I never quite fully got. Because at one point, the master's like, you know, join me and together we should rule the galaxy, whatever. And Adric is like, nah, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I never help you, but clearly he did because he built Castrovalva. So how much is Adric just a battery how much is he brainwashed into doing things he doesn't want to do? And how much is he actually in control? Um, we didn't really know. And that, for me, it kind of reduced my enjoyment of the story as a whole a little bit. I found the whole thing really interesting. But the writing was a bit bloated in some areas mm-hmm. and then boring as sin in others. <laughs> it was just like this weird thing. What I did like, though, I loved all of our companions. I thought they each had some standout moments. I thought, um, like I said, I was massively surprised with Tegan. I'm curious to see how Tegan progresses as a character because, like I said, I went in with a slightly negative opinion without mm-hmm. having ever really watched her. So I'm I'm glad that I was wrong, or at least not 100% right on that. Um, I really liked it. I'm really liking the Nyssa and Tegan dynamic. Now I have I'm trying to remember if and I'm fully feeling this. I think Nyssa and Tegan is a popular ship. Oh it's a, yeah, it is a popular ship. I can see why. Yeah. Once one proper story in with the two of them, I can see why. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how that friendship because obviously they don't have a romantic relationship on screen, but I'm curious to see how that friendship develops. Um, and Peter Davison, he, or actually, no, before we go to Peter, Anthony, fucking class act. That man chews scenery in the best possible way and mm-hmm. give him more of it to chew. I think it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, Peter, though, for his first story out the door, I think he did very well. 
I think mm-hmm. I kind of get what John Nathan Turner was trying to do by like getting rid of the nerves in maybe a different episode. I'm curious when we get to what his actual first episode is. I'm very curious as to what his performance would be like in that. Um, mm. But I think this doctor is warm and kind, but still intelligent and still just that little bit of bracing. Um, I am the all-powerful Time Lord. There's just that little bit of that still in there with his comments to Tegan at the end. And plus as well, the fucker made them jog back to the TARDIS and he he was calling the time as he was doing it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think think he did really well. Like I said, massive kudos to Peter Davidson. It was a great start. Um, And I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of this TARDIS team. So for me... um, what let this story down was kind of the story itself. Hmm. Um, and like I said, Shardavan, Margrave and Ruther, well, I thought they were interesting as a concept. And like, I love Michael Shoot and everything. Um, it took us so long to get to Castrovalva. We didn't get as much of them as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave it a 3.5. Um, I was going to give it a 4, but then to my that pacing thing really fucking bothered me. Um. Mm. So three point five. How about you? Um. So, well, first thing I want to get out there is I think the direct the direction of the story, or at least the the cinematography of the story, is actually quite good. Mm. I think there's some beautiful shots in here, but the one that sticks in my mind and it's kind of haunting mm. is at the very end when you hear like the air filled with screams. Mm. And you've got the Murgrave, you've got Murgrave trying to hold the master back while from behind him in a sort of almost like vampire, because of the clothing, like this weird vampire-esque mob, the other Castrovalvans trying to pull the master back in as well. Mm. Like he's swamped and you can, and it's just like that shot of him trying to fend them off and almost like a weird reverse antichrist type thing. Because he's all yeah. white as well, with the jet black hair and the beard, and it's like this, like, my creations are trying to kill me type thing. Like, that's mm-hmm. a visual that's just burned into my head now. Um, but, so, things I liked. The man himself, the doctor, not a bad introduction at all. Really good. And you, Peter Davison did a really good job of showing the the age and wisdom behind the eyes, I think here. Mm. Cause like at the very end, it's like, I, I can see Tom and John and Pat and Bill in here. I, I can, I can see the accumulation of that knowledge and those performances here in that, that young face. Mm. So I thought that was good. And as I said, I liked his like kind of nervous newborn performance when he was, going through like the like uncertainty and jittery side of things you know and like his mm. huge adrenaline surge I like that um, it was great seeing a, a good strong performance from Nissa. it was good seeing a continuation of an interesting like you know, interesting character development from Teague inside of things um, Adric the few moments we had with him were you know good as I I think I liked the idea I liked the performances of the three lads and I liked Murgrave's character and you know, the sacrifice behind it and Shardavan's whole thing is very interesting to me. Um, 
but where it kind of falls down is again it kind of falls down in two parts for me one is the story itself is all right you know like mm-hmm. as you said like you don't get the Castro Valva until the, the third episode and we still have a doctor well, like all, to be honest with you I didn't mind the doctor not being the doctor kind of like finding himself I enjoyed that arc of it but everything that's going on isn't super engaging it's not gripping like mm-hmm. I was perfectly content to leave this as one episode a day you know Mm. Uh, and as well another big thing for me was that if you have Adric kidnapped and you have okay you have two companions I like you missed a huge opportunity here with Nissa and the Master huge fucking thing because this could have been the payoff to Mm. that that storyline you know Uh, so I think I think that was that really kind of it soured it a small bit for me, I'm not going to lie. So between that and mm. an all right story, I've also given it a 3.5. Okay. Not a bad start by any stretch. No, no, it's, it's not. Um, I, and like, I think it is like it is the lowest of the, re, like at least definitely the regeneration stories that we've seen. Yeah, so if we, if we have a look back, um, if we just look at the last three seasons so season 18 season 17 season 16 like season 18 started with like a 1.63 average that was the leisure hive mm-hmm. um season 17 destiny of the daleks started with a one so <laughs> we're back on that upswing which is great to mm-hmm. see before that was ribos which was a four which was brilliant if we go back to um, regeneration stories, Robot was like a 4.88 on average across the two of us. I gave it a five. Robot was amazing. Um, then we have Spearhead. Spearhead, also really high up in that over 4.5 mark. And then I uh, always forget it isn't Dubs. the opening story, <laughs> Power of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is the first opener to be less than a four mm-hmm. but it's not less than a four unless, by much unless you count an unearthly child which is the introduction well yeah but that wasn't a regeneration himself. story yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah um but it wasn't less than a four by much no 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 so like this is this story is by no means bad i think there's just things we both would have liked to have seen it do that it could have done if it was structured a little bit better Yes. Um, which, you know, this happens. Like I said, I'm very curious to see how the season goes. Um, oh, like Peter, Peter Davison has done a, such a, like, he's done a great job here that I'm curious to see what, uh, like, I'm curious to see where his doctor grows and how he grows. And I'm also very interested to see how they'll work a four-person TARDIS. Mm, that I'm really curious about. Um, I'm also really curious about the car- how the character, like of all the characters that we so of the four characters we have in our TARDIS at the moment, mm-hmm. I'm curious about how each of them is going to progress. Yeah. You know, Peter has a really strong out the gap performance. I'm curious to see how mm-hmm. that's going to progress. Um Tegan, like I said, she was a bit annoying last week. Not terrible, but a bit annoying. 
really liked her this week. Thought she was really good. Thought she fit, you know, her job function quite well. Curious to see how that progresses. Um, the two characters I'm most curious about, though, are Nissa and Adric, for mm. completely different reasons. Adric, I'm curious about because, like I said, you look online and a lot of people seem to not like Adric. <laughs> and other than the odd case of how do you write a young man who's intelligent knowing he's intelligent <laughs> without him coming across as like you know an upstart you know pain in the hole um i haven't had any issue with adric i've, I've quite yeah. liked him as a character i think matthew waterhouse is playing him really well he sort of has like a sort of cute naivety to him in some ways, you know, but he's also trying to be he he's like a little kid who's trying to play at being an adult because he yeah. has to. Um mm. so I'm curious how that's going to progress because I do know a big spoiler about Adric. So I'm curious as to how that's going to progress to that point. Um but the other one I'm really curious about is Nessa. Um in a three companion TARDIS where you have the contemporary human future space boy and then you've Nyssa in the middle mm -hmm. who's a woman so there's certain things that come with that in a show in the 80s mm -hmm. she's young mm -hmm. she's intelligent she's technologically advanced she's scientist, science brain I don't want to see her getting lost between Adric and Tegan Mm -hmm. and just that she gets the leftovers of what's left from between the two of them yeah i don't think we saw that this story like so she didn't do as much as i would have liked but what she did was really good but i'm curious when you have the three of them i'm kind of concerned that she's the one that would get the short shrift because she sort of is the combination of the two other characters i'm just trying to check something there now so give me a sec Okay. Yeah, no, I was I was just trying to see um where she might have the most impact. And mm. based on that spoiler that you had mm. said. So uh yeah. No, it'd be it'll definitely be interesting to see. Yeah. But it is the dawn of a new day. Mm -hmm. It is a new Doctor, new generation for Doctor Who, a continuation of shite Trish hasn't seen before, and Paddy's maybe only seen once. So we'll see how it goes next and week. Tr Trish means shite in the in the Irish way, not that the content itself is shite. No, it's no, just yeah, just yeah. shite I haven't seen before. Um, also, I, was, I was fully expecting you to say it's a dawn of a brand new day, Vison. I was like, thank God. She no, didn't I, say it. my brain doesn't work that that well. Yeah. <laughs> um, Next week, though, mm -hmm. is Four to Doomsday. Yes. So we will see how our TARDIS crew gets on then. Until then, let us know your thoughts. What do you think of Peter? What did you think of Tom? You know, now that we've moved on to a new doctor, um, hit us up on those socials. And yeah, we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.
Thank <laughs> you.